Thessalonians and we're starting at in chapter 5 at verse 12 um, going on to verse 28 which is the end of 1 Thessalonians. So that's chapter 5 verse 12 to 28 and it's on page 1188 if you're using one of the church Bibles. It's entitled Final Instructions. Now we ask you brothers to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish admonish you. Hold them in highest regard, in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always trying to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Lord God, we pray that as we look at this passage, you would be speaking to us. Lord, we pray that you'll be in the words that are prepared, that you'll be in the words that are unprepared, you'll be in the silences, both planned and unplanned. And that, Lord, you would just allow your spirit to be working amongst us this morning in the words that are said, in the words that we hear, so that we may take them into our hearts and receive the glory that you long to give us, the understanding and wisdom and encouragement that you long to give through them to us this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning we finish our sermon series on 1 Thessalonians. And behind me on the screen is where we have gone and what Paul is talking about in the last chapter of his letter, where Paul focuses on leadership, fellowship, And worship. And this morning I want to talk about the purpose of the church. And this purpose is creating space for Jesus to be worshipped. And if you're somebody who makes notes, um, then you might want to jot down that sentence because it's one I'm going to use a lot and it will probably help you understand what I am getting at. So firstly, some definitions that are probably obvious, that you're probably aware of, but are worth mentioning just so that we're all on the same page. When I, and probably most other people, when they talk about it in church, talk about church, we're not talking about the building or a Sunday service. We're not talking about an institution made up of rules or regulations. But when we talk about church... 
we talk about people. The church is people. The body who have a faith in Jesus and are called to start building Jesus' kingdom. That is a world built in God's image here and now into eternity. A people committed to this idea of creating space for Jesus to be worshipped on a Sunday morning, in their nine to five job, in their family, down the pub, wherever they find that Jesus has called them to. People in church, you and me, are sacred beings who have the ability to discern and carry the spirit of God, which is showing them God's blueprint of how the world was created and is being created to be. As it's being transformed through the power of Christ and the coming of the new heaven and the new earth. Now in saying all of that, there are some big concepts. So don't worry if some of that doesn't make sense or you think, well, I don't really know what that means. The main thing to take away is that the church is a people committed, part of, involved in creating space for Jesus to be worshipped wherever God has called them to be. So let's unpack this concept of church in more detail. Because C is for community. One person alone cannot be a church. You're probably aware of that. Even though sometimes it might be tempting to try, the reality is that church needs more than one person to actually be defined as church. We have the universal church which is all the people from the point of Jesus who has been a disciple or follower, who has been committed to this undertaking to create space for worship, including all the variety of Christians today. And we have the local church, of which High and Way is one, where groups of people gather and are committed at a local level to creating space to see Jesus worshipped in their lives. Now, communities and being part of community is a common thing. Communities are often man-made, and in all of our lives, we will be impacted by the communities that we are part of. And so, in some aspect, the local church is no different. In every walk of life, every place where we live, every people that we're involved in, there will be a sense of community. And you as a human being are probably involved in many communities just as you live life. For example, there's the community that we live in, the physical place of Burbage and Hinckley, and maybe smaller neighbourhoods that make that up, or streets, or even community groups. You may be in a workplace community, or a social community. You may not use the word often to describe it, but your family group is a community, be that a marriage community with children or even with extended family. It's still a community. It's a place where people dwell and live and do things together. And in all communities, and the church is no different, there are several things which make them function. There are people who do, who lead, who make things happen, the leaders of a community. 
Maybe in our neighbourhoods they're counsellors or MPs or activists or even community groups that do a lot of good. They're probably parents in families or bosses at work, those who are good at organisation, who enable other people to live in a way that is beneficial. There are the people who live alongside us in community, who work alongside us at work, who live alongside us in family. These are other people who make up community. And if the community is functional or dysfunctional, it will probably depend a lot on if the people in the community get on, whether they're leaders or just people in the same group of people as us. Which leads us to what the community does, its function of being, in terms of our neighbourhood. It's to provide housing, safety, education, welfare, probably other things. To live alongside and care for one another in families would be a function of a family. To do whatever it is that your work does would be the function of your workplace. And it's in the function of the church as a community where Paul draws out a difference in verse 15 and 16 and puts it forward. Make sure nobody pays back wrong. Always try to be kind to everyone in and out of the church. Be joyful, give thanks no matter what, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. In short, make space for Jesus to be worshipped as a people. So church as community, will have the same human trappings as many other community groups that we're involved in. And sometimes it will have the same challenges as well because it's made up of people. And that will mean the temptation will always be to make community into something that resembles those other places where we're already in community. Something which is about rules and regulations. Something that is about doing things the way they have been done for those who founded that thing or belonged to it. But at the heart of church community should be that call, should be that desire, should be that truth that we are a community built on, striving towards, investing in, creating space for Jesus to be worshipped. And so the realities of community should be about that too, when we talk about the church community, which brings us to H, and H is for hierarchy. All communities that we're involved in, and again the church is no different, will have some form of structure, some form of leadership, some form of hierarchy. And in churches maybe even in society in general, hierarchy can be seen as an ugly word. Hierarchy can, can put forward images of power over one another, of lack of freedom for those at the bottom of the tree. There are far too many stories, aren't there, of those who have suffered at the hand of hierarchical structures when power has been abused. But the fact is, whatever we think about it, in any community, in any hierarchy, in any organisation, structure is needed and the church is not immune from this. So something that goes hand in hand with hierarchy is leadership. And again, depending on our experience, this will not always be seen as a good thing. 
In Baptist churches, potentially more than any other type of church, there can be negative reaction towards leadership because we don't, as Baptists, believe in hierarchy. We believe we are all equal, don't we? That we should all discern together the will of Christ through the church meeting. That is the belief system, that is the way of doing church that Baptist churches and this Baptist church is built on. And yet, year on year, in this church and every other Baptist church that I'm aware of, we elect leaders, we call ministers, we have deacons and in some churches elders. We are all equal but some are called to lead. And here there is a great tension for us that is just as prevalent in Scripture. In the life of Jesus, it is clear that Jesus didn't like hierarchy. Or to be fairer, he didn't like the hierarchy of that day. He physically tore it down when he turned tables over in the temple just before Easter. He regularly challenged the Pharisees and Sadducees on how they turned the Jewish law into a set of rules to admonish each other with. He said that all people have a God-given right to serve God in whatever way God calls them. And yet, Jesus called disciples and told them to build the church, set them up as leaders who would be key to making space for Jesus to be worshipped in that day and age. And did Jesus not lead them? Did he not send them out in twos? Did he not give them instructions on how to do things? Did he not preach and teach? Was he not called rabbi and live with and do things in a way that showed that leadership should be valued? It's a tension that is held elsewhere in scripture as well. There are leaders in the Old Testament who are creating space in their cultures to enable God to be worshipped. The book of Judges has a whole load of God-ordained leaders. And yet God did not want Israel to have a king. And yet David, despite his faults, is one of God's heroes. There's a very clear tension there. In the New Testament, the church is called to be a priesthood of all believers, to serve together as a body. We are told that all given, we are all given gifts by the Spirit so that we cannot be church alone. And yet leaders are encouraged, given instructions to, are pivotal to this call to make space for Jesus to be worshipped. In the history of the church, the universal church, church with a big C, It's gone between two extremes. What we might call clericalism, which is the leaders keep the reign of power so that nobody else gets a look in. And anti-clericalism, where we don't have leaders at all and it's a bit of a free-for-all. But the hierarchy and leadership that Paul is talking about is in the middle. It's leadership which allows the local church to create space for Jesus to be worshipped. By allowing those with the gift of leadership to lead in a Christ-like way. And this is what Paul lays out for us at the end of his letter in 1 Thessalonians. The leaders are to work hard to enable the church to do the things that Paul writes about in 15 and 16 and before and after. The thing that makes for the kingdom of God. And the Greek term used for this hard work is the same word used for uh, manual occupations, to strive and toil, to struggle physically. 
It's the same word used for physical jobs such as tent making and labouring in, in chapter 2 verse 9 and chapter 3 verse 8. And therefore leaders are to labour to enable the church to be able to create space for Jesus to be worshipped. On a Sunday morning, in your nine to five, in family life, wherever God has called you, leaders are providing, enabling you to be able to do that. They are people who have the ability to put themselves first in the sense that they are at the front enabling others to grow. And this is why Paul says in the passage that leaders are over you in the Lord, serving under the authority of Christ to enable encouragement. Which is why leaders have the authority to admonish you. That is ethically warn you against, to discipline those who are being destructive to the church. As Leon Maine says, to lead in a way which is based on brotherly love, but is big brotherly, protective, strong, wise, and sometimes doing and saying what is needed in a situation. It's not leadership based on a hierarchy of power, but with the direct intention of creating space for Jesus to be worshipped, to enable the church to understand its calling and to respond to it with the joy given through Jesus' gift of the Holy Spirit. But hand in hand with that, right alongside it in the words that Paul writes, so that it can't be separated in the way that I've almost done this morning, is the rest of the community. Giving them respect, giving them understanding, giving them trust to lead as leaders. To recognise and commission them as enablers of the church community who create ways and means for Jesus to be worshipped. To trust the changes, the ideas they bring to the community, the restructure that they give, the things that they put as important, even if we find them hard at first glance. To test them, yes, to make sure they are from God, which we're coming on to, but to understand that even in a Baptist church, leaders are needed. That it's a calling and gifting from God. To encourage them to use their gifting so that all can be enabled to understand the call to make space for Jesus to be worshipped when we're gathered as a church together and when we're scattered in the community. Because you is for understanding. Understanding exactly what Jesus has called you for. Understanding exactly how the people you travel with can help you do that. Understanding where you are part in creating space for Jesus to be worshipped. This is why as church it's important that we do certain things. Why it's important that we gather together to declare Jesus is Lord as we've done this morning. This is why it's important that we pray together to declare that where Jesus is working for all of us in our lives, as we've done this morning. This is why we find ways to serve together, to declare to the world who Jesus is and what Jesus can do. And Paul, in the passage in verse 19, talks about prophecies of the Spirit. And the word prophecy can be understood as as talking out truth that comes from God. It could be reading the Bible. It could be speaking out about the future. It could be singing a worship song. It could be a sermon or a prayer. It could be finding a way to put God-given ways and means into your company environmental policy or something as equally as abstract 
as that. The church should be helping each other to hear, discern and pass on the word of God amongst each other when we're together and to the world when we're scattered in word and deed. And often when we think of the word of God, particularly in worship on a Sunday, we think of the Bible or maybe even a sermon explaining the Bible. But when scripture talks about the word of God, it puts it broader than this. In the Old Testament, the word of God is the action of God talking forth creation, as I've said before, of making things happen. In the New Testament, this speaking forth takes on flesh and becomes Christ for us. Thus, Jesus is the word of God. And when we talk of the Bible as the word of God, we do so because the Bible, scripture, is pointing to Christ. Thus when we speak of the word of God in terms of a sermon, it is the action of the preacher expanding on scripture in a way which points to Jesus. We therefore should understand worship together in similar terms. When we worship together, we are publicly pointing to Jesus, the word of God. So the prayers we say, the songs we sing, the scripture we read points to Jesus, the word of God. Paul says in the passage, whether it be prophecies which can cover preaching or spiritual prophecies such as worship and prayer, we are to ask, we are to test it, we are to make sure that what is being said, that what is being declared is true. Does it fit with what we are told about Christ? In scripture, does the character of the person speaking fit with a disciple of Jesus? Is the message designed to build up the church? In short, does it fit with the word of God, who is Jesus Christ, in which we have faith? And as I've said, this isn't just a concept for Sunday morning, though it's important to that. Not just a concept for house group or church meetings or the prayer meeting or worship space or any of the ways we declare the word of God together. We talk about Jesus together. But it's about being out in the world where God has called us to create space for the worship of Jesus. What are those things that are building for that in our society? Where God is working and showing his ways and his kingdom, even if the voice box, the person making it happen, doesn't fully realise it. How can we help those things um, develop to grow, to create more space for Jesus to be worshipped? And when we understand this dynamic that is going on, it gives us something to respond to because R is for response God is constantly calling us to respond to what he is doing when we are together as a church and when we are scattered as a church God is working around within and beyond us constantly calling creation forward to God God has created it and is creating it to be Preparing the way for the coming Christ in the new heaven and the new earth of which we are already a part as disciples. Therefore we are part of the call of God, part of creating this space for Jesus to be worshipped in our world. Because human beings, as well as being part of the physical, that is the earthiness of our world, so what we do, breathe, seeing things happen, seeing each other, We are also built in God's image. 
have a spiritual department in our makeup that mean we can be involved in the otherworldly, the missio dei, that is the mission of God. We are people who are able to engage, to hear, to commune with God and be involved in what God is doing. And this is why in verse 23, Paul reminds us once more that we are sanctified and being sanctified. This is why he warns us in the same verse to avoid sin, which gets in the way of our ability to hear and serve, to create space for Jesus to be worshipped. Because when we understand the core of who we are as spiritual beings in tune with God who is bringing forth recreated creation, then it changes our understanding of calling and how we respond. If we are sacred beings that God has sanctified, that God has made holy, then we carry the holiness of God with us, literally the image of God we bear as we live, as we work, as we play in this world. So if that's true, we take God with us when we come into church on Sunday morning and we commune, we work, we do life, we do Sunday mornings together with God and each other. But what about tomorrow? And the day after that, and the day after that, and Thursday, Friday, Saturday as well. In the workplace, in family life, for myself on the football pitch on Monday morning at Hinkley Leisure Centre. We carry the holiness of God, the image of God with us as Christ's disciples. We are sacred beings commissioned to create space for Jesus to be worshipped. We know that God is working with us, around us and beyond us. And thus God has called us, placed us in places to keep on doing that in family life. Whether our family is Christian or not, in workplace, as challenging as that may be, even on the football pitch, when you're struggling to breathe and building deep relationships with other people, therefore, is actually quite difficult. Because I'm working this out as much as the rest of you are. Here too, we are to create space for Jesus to be worshipped. Not by insisting that everybody sings shine, Jesus shine before the next board meeting. Not forcing people to pray with us. Not by getting a soapbox, setting it up in your office and preaching at people. So don't think that will work, you may disagree. But through understanding who we are as people. That we are being changed, developed, refined. So our character as people who bear the image of God speaks to those around us. Because C is for character. You are salt. And when salt is added to a meal, as you probably know if you've ever put too much in, it changes things. Where God has placed you right here and now, where he placed you five years ago, where he'll place you in ten years' time, God has an intention for you to change things as salt. What that means, what it looks like practically, will be different for each one of us. But be sure, because Jesus has said so, you are salt, a light on the hillside, shining out Jesus to creation, calling people home. What is this God-given character? Well, Paul hints at it in the passage through all the verses that he writes. Living in peace, encouraging, helping the weak, being patient, 
that's a hard one for me, as anyone who knows me well will realise. Kindness, the joy that God puts inside us that is unrelated to circumstances, the avoidance of evil, hearing the call of the Spirit, which is the calling to us to respond and make space for Jesus to be worshipped. H is for hunger. What are you hungry for this morning? What do you long to see happen in your life or in our world? How do you long to see God working? Where has he put you? In your hearts and hearts, what has he put on your heart to do? And where is it that you need to be to do that? How can you start to get there? What needs to happen? What is that first small step to set you on that journey of response? And how can the community of God that you're part of here help you to get there? Because that hunger, as long as it ties in with the things of God, it stands the test that we're talking about where it points to Christ... It's the calling that God has put on your life to create space for Jesus to be worshipped in your life right now. And so we've come full circle, haven't we? We've come back to the first C, to community that we are part of, committed to calling to make space for Jesus to be worshipped. How can this place, this community, help you create space for Jesus to be worshipped? And what do you need to do about that this morning? It might be you need to find someone to pray with you about it because of something that's been said. If so, find someone. It can be me, it can be one of the deacons, it can be someone else you're comfy with talking to in the church and who is comfy praying with you. It might be that you feel you need to take a step of commitment or think about taking a step of commitment to say, yes, Jesus, I want to be a space creator for you. And that could take many forms. It might be baptism, it might be membership, it might be finding a prayer body or joining or forming a house group or something completely off my radar as I was um, preparing this sermon. But again, if that is you, talk to someone about it before going this morning. Or maybe it's just a feeling that something is brewing, an unnerving that you're not sure what to do with then again, please do talk to someone about it because the worst they can do this morning is what Paul asks the church to do in verse 25, which is what we're going to do now. And that's pray for each other daily. Let's pray.